had to get a mic. I want everybody to hear this. This is our Marie. For anybody who doesn't know, she grew up in our church, and she joined the army and moved away and stayed away. But she's here for a visit, and we're so happy. And so we wanted her to sing, and we didn't even give her a choice of what songs. So um, today she's going to sing Stand Still for us. Thank Father has a plan, though it's hard to see it now. You feel you're walking all alone, but He is there, no doubt. When the storm around you rages and you're tossed to and fro, when you face with life's decisions, not sure which way to go, stand still. God move Standing still Is hard to do When you feel you have reached the end He'll make a way for you Stand still And let God move When the enemy surrounds you And the walls are closing Tide is swiftly rising, and you wonder where he's been. Friend, there never was a moment that his arms weren't reaching out. You can rest assured and be secure. God is moving right now. Stand still and let God move. Standing still. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Matthew chapter 1, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And I want to talk to you today, I'm actually going to preach about Christmas today. So last week you came expecting it, you didn't get it. This week, Christmas sermon. I want to talk to you today about we could all use a little Christmas. Um, you ever get to where Christmas seems like it's just lost its joy? 
that it becomes so commercialized and so pressure. We've got meals to cook and places to clean and all kinds of stuff to prepare, and we lose sometimes the joy of Christmas. In fact, uh, a lot of people just don't want anything to do with it anymore. They'll, they'll avoid it at all costs. But I would suggest to you that we take another look at it and realize that we need Christmas. We need Christmas. Not just because of the fact that the Savior came at Christmas, but there's some very important lessons for us to learn about the Christmas story. And so I want to share with, the, with you some of those things this morning. Garrison Keillor, the author and storyteller, said this. Uh, I thought it was kind of a chuckle thing. He said, a lovely thing about Christmas is that it's compulsory, like a thunderstorm, and we all go through it together. And uh, that kind of made a negative outlook on it. Andy Rooney, the humorist, said, one of the most glorious messes in the world is the mess created in the living room on Christmas Day. And he said, don't clean it up too quickly. Uh, To me, that's one of the most depressing moments in the whole Christmas story is after the last present is open. And you look around and you say, that was it? It's over? And uh, I didn't get what I wanted. That's even worse, right? But uh, Christmas has some wonderful things, and I'm going to share with you three things this morning. Matthew 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. There's some miracles that have already taken place in that short text, isn't there? The fact that Mary, having been engaged but not having been with Joseph, is now with child. That is a miracle, and we must never forget the miracle of the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, without that virgin birth, we'd be in trouble because Jesus would have carried sin in his blood just like every man that's born, but because he's born of this virgin, of the Holy Spirit, he is this sinless child that's born. That's the miracle. The second miracle is um, the fact that Joseph receives this message from the angel and receives the message. I got to tell you, in the day and age that we live, we are so skeptical of godly things. And in our day and age, I wonder how many men like Joseph would have just walked away and not listened to the Holy Spirit. But Joseph listened. And so he's told, this is from the Holy Spirit. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this morning, I want to share three things that that the Christmas story brings us that we need. And the first one is this, miracles. We need miracles. How many of us right now in our lives, personally, there's an issue, there's a situation where we need God to move? We're confronted with those all the time. If it were not for these needs, we would not pray. But we, we have these needs, these things that are beyond our capability, these things that I could never do on my own, and so I need God above to intervene in my life. 
It may be a change in my life that I've tried and I've struggled with forever, and I just can't seem to make this happen in my life. But isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God who does miracles? That when we fall on our knees before Him and say, oh God, I've tried everything I know to do to change. I've tried everything I know to do to fix this situation. That our miracle-working God intervenes, and just as He could cause a virgin to conceive, He can do something in our lives also. It might be someone that we love and someone who is dear to us. And this holiday season, we tend to think of those that we love the most. And it might be someone that we love that's ill. It might be someone that we love that is without Christ. And we've been praying for them. And maybe we've done all that we know to do to reach them. And the reality is we say, there's nothing I can do. It is out of my control. And that is absolutely true. But we serve a miracle-working God who caused a virgin to conceive And he can do miracles in our life also. Miracles are important. And I'd say if if all we get from the Christmas story is the miracle of the virgin birth, we need a little bit of that kind of Christmas in our presence. I was at a commencement ceremony. Alyssa graduated from Fresno Pacific the other night. And uh, so proud dad moment. But uh, the theme of their college for this last year was that uh, do the impossible or expect the impossible. And so that's the God that we serve that he can do anything. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're facing something that is beyond anything we know. You're carrying it all alone. You walk in the doors and and it's your burden and you're carrying it. That happens so often, doesn't it? We don't always know what folks are dealing with. But I want you to know that we serve a miracle-working God. That when we go to the, the Old Testament and we see the miracles that were performed by God, and when we move into the New Testament and we see Jesus performing miracles, I, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the same God that could turn water into wine, that could cause the lame to walk and the blind to see, He's still the God we serve today. The same God that could reach down from heaven and find a young woman who was holy and just and who was pure and put a child in her miraculously, that's the God that we serve today. And there is nothing in our lives that he cannot do. Christmas is about miracles. Norman Vincent Peale said, Christmas waves a magic wand over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. And that really is a sense, and that's just that, the miracle aspect of Christmas. That we look at that manger scene, and we look at our nativities and our houses, and, and we ponder that Christ child in the, in the manger there, and, and we realize what a powerful God that we serve. That he would leave heaven and come here for us. And that miracle is even more exciting when we consider the context of the Christmas story. Here in Matthew chapter 1, when we read that story, and then it's recounted in Luke, and we'll read there in just a second, but I want to remind you of something, that the Old Testament has ended, and now we move to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts, and we pick up with the Christmas story. But we need to be reminded that there are about 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. Those years have often been called the silent years. And the reason why is because there's no big movement outwardly that people can see of God in this world. 
He's busy and he's doing things and the world is changing and it is setting the stage for the coming of the Messiah. But for about 400 years, as far as man is concerned down below, they're not seeing miracles anymore. No prophets are coming along and and doing these great miracles. No angels are appearing to man and pronouncing things to them. God is not giving visions to mankind. There's a lot of wars going on. There's a lot of governments changing. There's a lot of things in the world changing. But as far as God, it has been 400 silent years. And then all of a sudden, after four or 500 years of nothing, God appears to this virgin. And he says, hey, I got news for you. You're about to have a child. So the miracle is more than just she's a virgin having a child. The miracle is after four or 500 years, God is once again speaking to mankind. Luke 1 reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And notice verse 29, it says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. When you consider that for four or five hundred years there's been no word from heaven, and all of a sudden this angel appears and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She's looking around saying, What is this? Maybe I've read about God speaking to people in the past. Maybe I've heard from my grandma or my great-grandma about times when God sent angels to talk to mankind, but here I am, this humble Jewish girl, and God has sent an angel to speak to me. He hasn't even told her what the message is yet. He's just saying, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That might be one of the great miracles of Christmas is that God is with us. And it might be one that we need someone to remind us everyone every once in a while and say, hey, let me tell you how favored you really are. God's presence is in your life. So she wonders about the greeting. And in verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary struggles to understand. She says, you know, what kind of message is this? That the Lord is with me. And then when the angel goes on and says, You who have been are about to be with a child conceived of the Holy Ghost. Her next question is, how will this be? How can that happen? I don't understand. 
And there's a good lesson for us in there is that we can trust God even when we don't understand. You ever go through those periods of life where things are rolling along and this happens or that happens and you kind of scratch your head and say, I I don't understand this. Maybe you've even prayed that prayer. God, clue me in. Tell me what you're doing. I don't get this. Why, Why am I sick? Or why did I lose this person? Or why am I struggling like I am right now? God, why did, these, why did this person move away? Or whatever the question is, we have those moments when we don't understand what God's doing. And maybe we know what he's going to do, but sometimes we look at the mess around us and we say, I don't understand how he's going to do it. You ever prayed for someone to be saved? And in your heart, you knew they were hard-headed, hard-hearted. And you just said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he can do it. We can trust God even when we don't understand. And the angel speaks to her and says, nothing will be impossible with God. God can do anything. Miracles are important. With men, the Bible says some things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Mary Mary responds to that. He says, nothing is impossible for God. And Mary responds and she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. I wonder sometimes if the reason we don't experience more of these miraculous moments in our lives is because we don't have that response that Mary had. That we don't say simply, I'm your servant, Lord. Whatever your will is, I'll do it. I think really when it comes down to it, a lot of us, we're like, I'm your servant, Lord. And as long as what you do makes me happy, I'll do it. But Mary simply responded, Lord, whatever it is you want, I'll surrender to that. I was thinking about that. And, you know, Mary praises God for what's taking place in her. But really, if you put yourselves in Mary's shoes, I'm not quite sure that was something that a virgin would actually want to happen. That she'd have to go and explain to her family, hey, I I got news for you. I'm with child. She's been engaged to Joseph, and while the Jewish engagement was more serious than our engagements, it was a legal binding thing, but they had not consummated their marriage. Joseph had not been with her, and now she's got to go to Joseph and say, Joseph, I got great news. I can't imagine that had to be easy. And I wonder sometimes if God moves in our lives in ways like that. Things that are really good that he's going to do in our lives, but right at the moment we don't see him as being that great. Isn't it wonderful how looking back on things we can say, man, I was not thrilled about that at the time, but God has sure worked it out for me. She says, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be done according to your will. I challenge you this morning, if you need a miracle, that's the prayer you need to pray today. Lord, I'm your servant, whatever your will is. And with that kind of prayer, you'll never be disappointed because his will will always be accomplished. So we all need a little bit of Christmas. We need those miracles. And the second thing we need is the promises of Christmas. Promises are wonderful things, aren't they? I mean, don't we love it when people promise us things? Hopefully they 
carry through and do what they promised. But generally, we like that. Remember when we were kids and someone say, I'm going to do this for you, and we'd say, you promise? And if we were really smart, we'd get a pinky promise out of them, right? We love promises. And God had promised a Messiah since the very beginning of time. It didn't take long after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden until God spoke the first prophecy of a coming Messiah, Genesis 3 and 15. And from that point on, everything he speaks through the prophets, all of the stories that we see in the Bible, the great stories, they all have an image, if you will. They all have the shadowing of something to come. And they're really all about Jesus. This was a promise that had been given long ago. In Romans chapter 15, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, and then he says this, to show God's truthfulness or his faithfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those men, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. What he's saying is that Christ came in order to confirm the promises that God had given to all of these great men of the faith in the past. And so when Jesus was born, it was more than just a miracle. It was a promise fulfilled. And people saw it as that. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one, they'd say. God keeps his promises. In Acts chapter 3, the apostle speaks here. And he says this, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these things. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. That covenant is that agreement. Saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from wickedness. You see, these were promises that were made to all these prophets and all these Old Testament characters that we read about and we see their faith, they lived for the promise of the coming Messiah. And so in that manger, in that nativity set at your house, when you see that little child there, you've got to understand, that's not just a miracle. That's a promise kept. And if God kept that promise, we need to understand that he keeps all of his promises that if he kept a promise for thousands of years that he would send Jesus to be born on this earth for us, a Savior, that he'll also keep the promise that he said, even though I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He keeps his promises. And maybe there's some things in your life where you've been serving God, you've been doing all that you know to do, and you've been saying, listen, the Bible says if I do this, that God's going to do wonders in my life. And you've been waiting for that. Be patient. God keeps his promises. Men may fail, but God never fails. So at Christmas, we need the miracles of Christmas because with 
God, all things are possible. And we need the promises of Christmas because we need a God who never fails us. And the third thing that we need a little bit of Christmas for is for the presents. And listen carefully. I'm not talking about the presents that are under your tree today. Different spelling. I'm talking about the presence of God. That's a little bit of the Christmas story that we need. We need His presence like never before. Dale Evans Rogers said this, Christmas, my child, is love in action. And when Jesus came to be born of that virgin, that was one of the greatest acts of love the world has ever known. When you think about all that Christ gave up when he left heaven to come to earth, there's no way you can say he did not come out of love. He had to have loved us to come. And when you think about the reason that he came, ultimately, to die for our sins, amen, Christmas is love in action. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the prophecy that is fulfilled in Matthew. That is when the scripture says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And our scripture puts the interpretation there, which means God with us. I don't know about you, but I like that part. I love presents at Christmas, especially the presence of God. That's a little bit of Christmas we cannot afford to lose because God's presence does some wonderful things in our lives. First, God's presence gives us courage. I can face anything if God is with me. I love the hymn, and we sing it in church every once in a while, usually as a special nowadays, but talking about, I don't know about tomorrow. But I do know who holds tomorrow in his hands. God's presence gives us the courage. And I don't know what 2017 is going to hold for any of us. Some of you, I'm sure, are going to have wonderful years. You're going to strike it rich. You're going to triple your tithe. Amen? Everything's going to be grand. You're going to feel the best you've ever felt. You're going to volunteer for cleanup duty at church and nursery duty. You're just going to have a great year. We're all going to sit back and moan and groan about our problems and be glad that you're having that year. But you might have a tough year this year. And we just won't go into a lot of detail there. Because I think in every one of our minds, when we think about the future and the possibility of a difficult year, we all go different places, don't we? But imagine whatever you will about the coming year. Imagine the very worst, if you will. I can tell you this, we need his presence. And with his presence, we can face anything. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is before God, and God is sending him to speak to Pharaoh. And that could not have been a wonderful assignment either. Moses left Egypt after murdering a man. He's basically running for his life. And God appears later on, now that Moses is married and has his kids, and man, life is good. He's about ready to retire. He's about 80 by now. And God says, Moses, I got something for you to do. 
I need you to go back and talk to Pharaoh and get the rest of your family and bring them out here. Moses got him saying, God, I'm, I'm wanted there. You do know that, right? I'm glad you forgave me, God, but I'm sure Pharaoh's not that forgiving. And Moses used the excuses, well, I don't speak well, and they're not going to listen to me, and all of these things. And in verse 11 of chapter 3, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? They're not going to listen to me. Who am I? He said, and this is God speaking to Moses now, He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It wasn't about who Moses was. It was about who was with Moses that made all the difference in the world. And you might be looking at the future and thinking, I don't know if I can handle this. Well, it's not about whether or not you can handle it. It's about whether or not God's presence is in your life. Because if God goes with you, you can do it. It's about Him. So God's presence gives us courage. God's presence should be desired by every one of us in every move that we make in this life. And yet I wonder sometimes if we make quick decisions and make moves in life that we haven't really considered, is God for this? Later on in Exodus chapter 33, the scripture says this, and Moses speaking, he says, Now therefore I pray thee, If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, and God responds, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And so the prayer warrior answers back to God, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's how important God's presence is. He said, God, I'll go anywhere as long as you go with me. But God, if you're not going with me, I'm staying right here. How much better would our lives be if we made that the deciding factor in our decision making? God, I'm not getting married unless you promise you're going to be in this marriage with me. God, I'm not moving to that state that has negative 15 degrees weather unless you go with me. God, I'm not taking that job. I don't care how much they pay me unless you go with me there. But I'm afraid sometimes we fail to ask God, are you going with me, God? And God's presence brings complete joy into our lives. We talk about the joy at Christmas. Without God, that's hard to find. Psalm 1611 says, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence, he says, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We need presence at Christmas. God's presence. A.W. Tozer said this in The Pursuit of God. He says, why do some persons find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and let multitudes of others struggle along the half-light of imperfect Christian experience? 
Of course, the will of God is the same for all. He has no favorites within his household. All he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. And A.W. Tozer concluded, the difference lies not with God, but with us. Do you desire God's presence in your life this morning? That's really the key. And his presence is still with us today. It wasn't just at the manger. It wasn't just that first Christmas morning. But his presence is with us today. In fact, when Jesus left this earth, he told the disciples, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That comforter is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left earth, he said, I'm going to give you another just like me, and he'll be with you forever. Aren't you glad to have the presence of God in your life? How do we get that close to God? James says very clearly, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. So this morning, my challenge for you is this. We could all use a little Christmas in our lives. Don't throw it out because of what the world's done with it. Don't throw it out because of the commercialism. Don't throw it out because of the stress of spending money and bills. Don't throw Christmas out with all the stuff that the world has added to it. Keep Christmas an important part of your life because we could all use a little Christmas if we realize what it's really all about. And I'd suggest to you this morning that miracles, promises, and presence, God's presence, are some of the things we desperately need. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that he was so willing to leave your side and come to be with us. That God, you made your entry into our lives in a very spectacular way that first Christmas. And Lord, here we are 2,000 years later. And to some, Christmas has lost its real meaning. But Lord, help us be reminded of the great miracles of Christmas, the virgin birth, and that, Lord, you still do miracles in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be reminded of your presence and how powerful it really is, God. God, I pray today that if there is one here that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that your presence would be known in their life like never before today, that you would not just be around them, that you would not just be speaking to them from the outside, but Lord, today they would surrender their life to you and that you would move.